0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, November 28, 2007. I'm Caleb Brown. With the Iowa caucuses coming up, it's incumbent on most candidates for president to wax poetic about the virtues of corn, and specifically corn ethanol. Cato Institute Director of Budget Studies Stephen Silvinsky argues that what makes good politics, in this case, doesn't make good economics. Describe the rise in importance of uh, corn ethanol as a political tool.
1: Ethanol has become the premier energy issue. It's become the premier environmental issue. It touches on so many specific policies, not just budget policies but also in trade policies, that a variety of different interest groups have uh, rallied around keeping a variety of different subsidies, usually trade protections, in Washington, D.C., in the farm lobby, uh, which was already powerful as a result of their ability to sustain and defend. Agriculture subsidies to various other crops have now been able to, uh, in a sense, create this uh, issue de jour, this fashionable uh, intent and interest by candidates uh, of all political stripes uh, to defend programs specifically like ethanol. And so, in a sense, we've got uh, corn farmers basically driving a lot of electoral politics today.
0: How significant is the Iowa caucuses to the formation of most presidential candidates' positions on ethanol? We hear a lot about it. People have to bow down to the uh, altar of ethanol before they can continue on in a presidential race. How true is that?
1: That's certainly true of the Iowa caucuses. No presidential candidate can win the Iowa caucus without saying they're going to defend or expand the ethanol program and the subsidies and the protections corn growers and ethanol producers get. But if a candidate were going to go to another state, say Michigan or Florida, I mean, there's different sorts of protections to different sorts of industries they're going to be promoting. In Florida, it's going to be the sugar protection in the form of trade quotas. barriers to competition in that industry. In Michigan, it's going to be manufacturing and and automotive protections. It's going to be a variety of different things. And this is sort of a larger question about the culture of Washington, the ability of the federal government to be all things to all people, and for that matter, protect certain industries, whether they be uh, politically fashionable, or whether they're uh, in need of protection. I mean, the presumption is that government knows how best to run a company, or more specifically, how best to run an economy. And the presumption is if Congress is going to do something, they're probably going to do something that only harms people in the long run instead of hurt, instead of helps them or protects them. What they're going to do is they're going to find a way of protecting a specific company or an industry uh, and not thinking about the long-term costs of uh, those types of actions.
0: It seems almost like a chicken-and-egg problem with the government handing out subsidies and with industries or particular companies seeking protection.
1: If every corporation fired their D.C. lobbyist tomorrow, I still don't think support for these sorts of corporate welfare programs would wane at all. Uh, Because you've got in Congress today, and I think generally uh, in in state capitals even— an idea that politicians should be in the business of meddling in the economy in meddling in how corporations make decisions and what happens in the private sector. So the idea that uh, much of what politicians do is influenced by who gives them money uh, isn't entirely correct. It is sort of a chicken and egg problem. But I think what you really see is that you've got this demand for political action occurring by politicians and not just by folks who are giving them money. If you think about what was going on in Silicon Valley even uh, in the 1990s or even earlier, you, you had companies like Microsoft or Cypress Semiconductors who didn't have a D.C. presence. And then, of course, the Justice Department went after Microsoft and forced them to invest money in having sort of a protector in Washington, D.C., and so they have hired lobbyists. And so even if you had companies taking off their payroll, lobbyists in D.C., they'd go right back on the payroll in a few months because Congress is always interested in meddling. And what the private sector does, that's really what makes a politician look good. They can point to something and say, look what I did, whether it be name a post office after themselves or a new road after themselves, or they can point to a specific program and say, look, I helped get money for the advanced technology program, which subsidized Ford or Xerox or General Motors.
0: Well, politicians like the obvious effects, but the unseen effects on the economy, on prices of goods and services are not seen and are more difficult to tie to those particular politicians, unlike, say, a post office with their name on it. Mm.
1: For instance, uh, trade barriers on sugar, for instance, make sugar more expensive in the U.S. simply because there's no competition. There's no international competition. You've got only domestic sugar being used uh, in domestic production. As a result, prices of all sorts of food that has sugar inputs are either going to be higher or they're going to switch to an alternative like hydrogenated corn syrup, for instance. In the case of corn, you're already seeing in in the numbers uh, an increase in the types of inputs for food, or I should say corn-based food. Effectively, what you're seeing is more and more corn going to ethanol production, less of it left over for food production. As a result, you see increased prices down the line for corn-based products. What that means is uh, an average family might suddenly pay more over time in food costs, but they're not seeing that uh, in relationship to the ethanol mandate or the sugar quotas. Uh, They don't see the fact that what the politicians are talking about uh, to, in a sense, fatten their political margins uh, is actually causing them to to pay more overall.
0: Steven Slavinsky is the Cato Institute Director of Budget Studies. This is the Cato Daily Podcast. You can read more on ethanol at our website, cato.org.